Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm so excited to welcome DDS Dobson Smith. DDS Dobson Smith has had a 25-year-long global career in organizational development up to board and C-suite levels and is a licensed therapist, author, executive coach, speaker on leadership and growth, as well as being a Reiki master, all in service of helping others grow and become more of who they are. They is are the founder and CEO of Soul Trained, an executive coaching and growth leadership training consultancy. Their new book is You Can Be Yourself Here, Your Pocket Guide to Creating Inclusive Workplaces by Using the Psychology of Belonging. Welcome, DDS. Oh, thanks, Fernanda. It's always really funny for me to hear people introducing me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> I know it is kind of odd, isn't it? Um, but, you know, you're such a dear friend and hmm. been so blessed to have known you over these last few years. And I'm really excited to have you on the show because I haven't interviewed you before. So cool. welcome to the show. And Typically, what I like to do is uh, for our listeners, I, I like them to kind of get an understanding of who the guest is on a personal level, where you grew up, what you're all about, and how you got started in your profession. Yeah, that's always really daunting, um, thinking about how to condense a 48-year-long life into, <laughs> into a little, you know, pocket, pocket-sized version. Um, well, you you can probably hear from my accent that I am I am from the UK. Uh, that's where I grew up, um, lived there until um, I was in my forties, uh, early forties. Then moved with my husband to the US. We originally moved to California, where we spent the first eight years. And um, two, three weeks ago, we moved to the East Coast and are now living in um, what is quite a snowy um, Connecticut. Uh, and um, yeah, I don't know how I got into this career. Like, <laughs> I like to say that it was all very visionary and purposeful, but I think it was a a series of um, calculated but happy accidents. Um, I I grew up in a pub. Um, the people that gave birth to me owned a pub, and um, uh, and and I spent a lot of my formative years in in that space and and my first college degree is in hospitality management so <laughs> the idea of service and um and otherness um is i think is definitely in me in my dna somewhere and and really that that was my route to go forward i was going to be a career hospitality person and in fact i even was a college professor um teaching hospitality subjects um, and then I had a I had a bit of a, a confidence crisis um, while I was teaching because there was in one of my first teaching gigs as a professor I was teaching a, a group of mature students. There was this one particular course I was teaching called Public House Operations, and in this course was um, a gentleman called Howard who was born on the same day and and in the same year as as the woman that gave birth to me. And I remember handing Howard back an assignment on public house operations and having graded it a C. And he had owned his pub 
longer than I had been alive. And I was like, what the heck am I doing in this job? <laughs> like, I was like imposter syndrome alert and decided that I was going to leave academia and, and go and get some industrial experience under my belt. And that's when I moved into HR because it felt like the career that was as closely related to service and people as possible. And, and then that's what happened. I, I spent the following, and I always said to myself, I'm going to go back into academia. And, and so I spent the, the following 25 years working in various different sectors from music and entertainment to civil engineering to travel and tourism to advertising to communications in various different org psych org development roles and then most recently um, in fact two semesters ago I was I got back into academia and I'm a professor once again as a side gig so it it feels very full circle and and like I say I, I do believe that that we drive our career from a series of of decisions but I also do think that there's something in there about right place right time as well it's interesting we'll get into what you're doing now but yeah but I do feel like there's this connection between hospitality and all that experience and and where you're sitting today and what you're hoping to build which we're going to dive into shortly so obviously you've worked with a lot of incredible uh, executives at senior levels, both entrepreneurs and corporate executives and, and assisted them in their own growth. And I know that you're incredibly passionate and your area of expertise is not only leadership, but also culture building. So do you mind diving in a little bit in terms of your one-on-one work and, and your experience working with individuals and how you feel you've been impactful and what's really unique about what DDS brings forth yeah, it's it's really interesting that you asked that question because I have always struggled talking about myself, which is a particular Achilles heel when it comes to being an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> it and, sure is. <laughs> um, uh, but I, a dear friend of mine from the UK is staying with me this week, and and she, she started reading my book, and and she was she said to me, if I had one piece of advice. I would tell people who are going to read your book to start with the back two pages, because in the back two pages of my book is my bio. And she said, it's it's just really impressive to read that not only have you got a 25 year long career and meaning that you've you've sat at the tables, you've made the hard decisions, you've been in those sorts of discussions. Not only do you have the, the qualifications as a psychotherapist, as a as a qualified coach, not only are you a holistic therapist as a sound healer and as a, as a Reiki master, but you also have a lived experience of someone who comes from, you know, uh, an aspect of my identity that comes from a marginalized community. And so I think I, I bring all of that to my, to my work. You know, I, when, I, when I work in, in my one-to-one work as an executive coach, I bring my heart and my passion. I bring my humanness. I bring my experience to really be dedicated in acts of service to my clients and my patients, particularly my, my executive coaching clients, to, to help them get to where they want to go. And sometimes annoyingly so, I'm a little bit more committed. <laughs> I'm a little, I can sometimes be a little bit more committed to their, their outcomes than they are to their own outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's, I think that is definitely what attracts clients to come and work with me but probably also, you know, scares clients to come and work with me a little bit. Like I, I, like I say, I bring, I bring my truth and my work is underpinned by two principles 
One of them that um, is leadership as a behavior, not a title, which is, happens to be the title of my second book. And, and the second principle is that shift happens through hard human kindness. So and I can, I'm happy to elaborate on both of those principles, if you like, but it's, it's really the idea that as a coach, I am going to be your best friend, but I'm the type of friend that is going to tell you that you've got spinach on your teeth or that your label's hanging out rather than the kind of best friend that's going to tell you pleasantries and, and everything that you want to hear. And I would also add to that, um, because I've had the pleasure of working with you a bit, <laughs> is that you're almost like that superhero that has that incredible, powerful vision that can see things in the dark that other people can't see. Wow. So it's really hard to hide from you. And I think that <laughs> as you know, as a, as a human being who wants to do work, right? For those of us who step forward and say, "Yes, I want to do work," there's always parts of us in our story that is painful or that we haven't really dealt with, or sometimes we're just completely unconscious that it's there. Mm -hmm. And my experience with you, what I would say is that you have this laser vision or this other knowing where mm -hmm. you go straight in to that kind of root canal and you're like, oh my God, like I can't even go there, you know? So I think that's really a gift. And, and perhaps it's, I would guess it's because of your not only your god-given gifts but also the breadth of yeah. your experience that you really approach your work from such a holistic perspective and by holistic i just mean looking at the whole person yeah. um, from different lenses of the work that you've done so yeah. and you have an incredible intuitive sense to really get to the heart of the matter. So I think that's, you know, it's a real gift for the people that get to work with you. So I'll just say that as my own personal plug for your work. Thank you, that's, that's really kind of you, Fernando. And it makes me think as well, like, you know, there's always a really good reason why we do what we do and why we behave in the ways that we do and why we feel what we feel. There's never not a reason. You know, with my background in psychology uh, and being a psychotherapist and bringing that those skills into the coaching relationship is also really, really important because it enables us, me and my clients, to be able to plumb the depths and to find out the structure of the beliefs and values that, that support the behaviors that they want to change. I also wanted to add, obviously, since this is a We Global Studios program and, and we're committed to supporting female founders, that mm -hmm. the work that you do, I believe, is so critically important in particular for female founders, mm -hmm. um, even though they typically do not want to invest the time or the money because A, they're so busy and you know B, they're always so conservative with they're spending because they give, you know, they dedicate it all to building their company, what resources they do have. So that's a challenge in and of itself. But I do believe that once people stand up, as, as you've gone through this experience now as a founder, so I wanted to dig yeah. into this a little bit. You know, I was a corporate executive for many, many years at major studios, and the issues that exist there have parallels on the entrepreneurial side, but there's so much on the entrepreneurial side that is so unique to that experience because it's just you mm -hmm. and it's and it's your vision and it's your mm -hmm. mission and you need an incredible amount of self-confidence and, and a bunch of other adjectives so yeah. could you speak a little bit from your own experience you know in the last few years as you've kind of stepped yeah. out let's just be real it's hard and it's scary 
and all of the great things that come with being an entrepreneur and creating your own agenda, creating your own client base, saying yes to stuff you want to say yes to, saying no to stuff you don't want to do is great and it's hard and there's a different set of anxieties. And I think it's lonely as well. And that's a really, really important thing to remember because in that loneliness, then it can become aloneness. And that's when we can start to come apart a little bit. And that's when the imposter syndrome starts to knock on our door. And that's, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And the idea around investing in an executive coach, it, you know, it, it, it is an investment. And we often as entrepreneurs want to think about the return on that investment. And I encourage us instead of thinking about ROI, I like to encourage people to think about COI. And COI stands for cost of inaction. So what is it going to cost you if you don't do this? What is it going to cost you if you don't take care of you? What is it going to cost you if you don't have a confidential, brave space for you to let it all out, to talk about what's going on, to process what's going on, with someone that isn't an investor, that isn't a customer, that isn't a friend, that isn't your partner, that isn't your kid, all of whom have different biases at play. And that's what I would say is, is really important is that this job of being an entrepreneur, it's more than a full-time job. It is a way of life. It is a mm -hmm. way of being, and we all need a support team. And on that support team does include cheerleaders, but it also includes coaches. I couldn't agree more. I'm nodding like crazy. That's, I think, one of the benefits of being involved in an organization like ours and also having a, a coach. You would never think to become an elite athlete and not have a coach, right? right? And I really see entrepreneurship personally as the same thing. You know, you're an elite business person because you're leading a company from scratch. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a small business, which there's nothing wrong with a small business. My parents had a small business, but it's a business that is intended to scale enormously. So the pressures and the requirements are pretty massive. So let's put that aside now and talk about your book that mm. just came out, which is so exciting. And then I, I really want you to dig into the importance of culture. And then I have mm. something to share with you, a research study we were involved in that just came out and, and some data that came out around culture, but you dive in. I mean, where, where shall I start? The, the book? Start with your book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, it came out on, on Monday. Um, Yay. was, yeah, it's been, it's just been well, it's really funny. Everyone keeps saying, how do you feel about your book launch? And and I, the best way I can describe it is it's like being the person that that cooks Thanksgiving dinner. As the chef of Thanksgiving dinner, by the time you sit down to eat it, you're kind of over it, but everyone mm -hmm. else is enjoying it. And I, I, feel, I feel a little bit like that this week. Mm -hmm. I, I feel immensely proud of myself for the vulnerability that it takes to put your work out into the world. And I'm like, yeah, I want to pat myself on the back of that. But I'm also like, yeah, the book's published. Great. Now what kind of thing? You know, the, the book was, was definitely a very personal journey. It started life as a paper um, that I wrote at grad school that was a culmination of my own lived experience, but also of my career in org development um, and helping companies to create spaces where, where people belong. 
and it, essentially it talks about the, the importance of the power of belonging and this the the need to belong transcends geographies cultures and generations and genders it is a primal basic instinct that we all almost biological i would say instinct the need to to feel like we belong in places and there are so many places particularly in the world of work where we don't feel like we belong particularly if you are a woman particularly if you are or, or are gay or trans particularly if you are black or brown or disabled and particularly if you have certain political ideologies you know the the world of work has become a place where we cover where we hide parts of ourselves in order to be able to fit in and so the idea behind the book was to explain the power of belonging through the lens of psychology and also to help people that are entrepreneurs or founders CEOs leaders of people functions to understand some practical tools and tips around how to create diversity in a business to facilitate inclusion in order to have the experience of belonging and it really does tease apart the difference between diversity inclusion and belonging which are often uttered in the same sentence and i say in the book diversity is a fact you either do or don't have diversity inclusion is a behavior and belonging is an experience and you can't have belonging without inclusion and you can't have inclusion without diversity but diversity doesn't always lead to inclusion and inclusion doesn't always lead to belonging and so it's a it's an equation that works backwards but doesn't always work forwards if you, if you get my drift wow that's actually really interesting would you equate belonging with culture here's the interesting thing we've probably many of us have probably heard the famous saying from P peter drucker in the 1950s when he said culture will eat strategy for breakfast i kind of agree but i also differentiate between culture and climate i think culture is i think of cultural or a company's cultural fabric as the intentions wishes and des desires that it articulates for the kind of vibe that it wants to create the kind of company it wants to be climate is the actual lived experience of the employees in that company and in an ideal world your culture and your climate are able to overlap um, as much as possible and i think it is climate that will eat strategy for breakfast not culture and so climate is shaped by behaviors it's shaped by the way we treat each other the way we solve problems the way we deal with conflict the way we talk about each other when we're not in the room and it is shaped by how inclusive or not we are. So that's how I see it linked. So uh, we just recently uh, were involved in a research study that included a couple organizations, and I, I won't say what, but it was really interesting because it was, because um, it's being released next month, but it looked at women that were in the tech field. And one of the things that we were looking at was why there's been difficulty in keeping women in tech. And the number one thing that came up was culture. Mm. It wasn't pay, you know, which was kind of surprising and some of the other quote unquote kind of benefits. Yeah. Uh, it was in fact culture. So I thought of you immediately yes. when this came up, because, you know, when you ask people these things, culture is so broad. So it may mean different things to different people. Right. So it might mean climate, it might mean belonging, it might mean, right. you know, a lot of different things. Does that surprise you at all? Not in the slightest. I mean, <laughs> 
you know, in, back in the late 80s, early early 90s, Marcus Buckingham and the, and Kurt Kaufman and the Gallup organization produced a, a, a piece of research that ended up in a book called First Break All the Rules that said people don't leave bad companies, they leave bad managers and pointed to the idea that the benefits and the perks and the, the work itself is important, but it's not as important as the relational side of being in an organization, which is quite frankly, the culture. Relationships and the way we relate to each other are the wellspring of culture. So the idea that that was number one on the list for those women in tech is absolutely unsurprising to me in every single way. Have you ever thought about being a culture doctor in corporate America? Oh, I mean, I think that's what I was. And mm -hmm. the role that I had before I set up Soul Trained, I was the chief learning and culture officer at a global ad mm -hmm. agency. And before that, heads of organizational development in, in different companies. And essentially, different people have called me the culture ambassador or the standards bearer or the, it's all that. It's all about mining, you know, the metrics for culture. The two most important metrics are attrition and satisfaction, uh, employee satisfaction. So when employee satisfaction goes up, attrition goes down. When attrition goes up, employee satisfaction goes down and, the, and, and vice versa. You know, the two are correlated. And the causation of that is the experience of belonging. And belonging or lack thereof is fed by inclusion. And inclusion is a behavior. It's that. And it's like understanding where those pitfalls are happening or those obstacles are happening within the climate that is the doctoring. It's the, that's the surgery of what I do. So Daniel, if you were in a room with 20 young female entrepreneurs mm -hmm. who just had received some seed funding, yeah. so let's say they each have, you know, maybe a million to 2 million in the bank and they're starting to hire staff because oftentimes entrepreneurs don't really think about culture building so early on, right? You always think like, oh, it's something you do much later when you get bigger because you're still a scrappy entity. What would you say to that? And what would you advise them as they start to really think about building a staff and, and you know, having a company that's more than one? I would imagine if they've received some funding that they have probably already been very clear on what the mission of their organization is, what the why, the purpose of their organization. Yes. And if they aren't, they should be. So that's the number one thing, like get right. on your why and your purpose and hire people. Um, I talk about this in the book, culture ad versus culture fit. And what I mean by that is hire people that are in alignment with your why, hire people that are in alignment with your mission but that will bring something different than you. And that's what I would absolutely say when it comes to thinking about if you want to create an organization where, because I, I don't ever think about culture as being strong or weak or good or bad. I think about it is, do you have a culture that is appropriate to the mission of the company? Like, is it going to support that your journey or is it going to detract from it? So hire in alignment with people that share or share a passion for your vision, your mission, your purpose, but don't hire for a values fit. Ah, let's dig into that. Cause I was just about to ask you, do you recommend that, you know, founders draft, like here's our values and kind of use that as their North star. I do recommend values, but I don't recommend hiring to values because the thing about values is, Fernanda, you and I could share a value around, I don't know, humanity. 
But the way in which that value shows up for you and shows up for me in our behavior could be completely different. Higher for a value, first of all, you are on an avenue towards homogeneity, which is what you don't want, right? You don't want to create an organization that is in your likeness. So hire instead for purpose, hire instead for alignment with, find people that have a passion towards what it is that you are trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean, share the company values with them. They're really important because they help, values help you to determine how to make a decision, where to invest, where not to invest. Share those, and but have a conversation about where there is values alignment and values misalignment, but don't make that the thing that is the make or break of your hiring. The make or break of your hiring has got to be, do you wanna be on this mission with us? And how are you gonna to add to this mission? What are you going to bring that's going to shake things up and takes us quicker and further on that mission? And, you know, if there's one thing that you see repeatedly, is there one thing that you see repeatedly that that's kind of toxic that breaks that down? Uh, yeah, people hiring in their own likeness. I see, I see that all over the place. So there's that. Then there's the idea of hiring for diversity as tokenism. That really grinds my gears because it, it isn't tokenism. It, you know, it's, it's, there's real good business sense to be, to be bringing people into your business that are not like you. So I think, yeah, the, the idea that those, those are the things like the hiring in my own likeness. And I've seen organizations, small, medium and large organizations that have ended up with people that are just like each other. And then they wonder why they spin their wheels. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's really fascinating. So I want to conclude our discussion by shifting gears into picking your brain around the topic of startup hacks, how to save time, money, and gain a competitive edge while bootstrapping your business, which you know too well already. And I'm just wondering, as a, as a founder of your own business, if there are some tricks and some strategies that you have used to save you time, to save you money, to preserve your sanity that you would want to share with other founders. Sleep, hydrate, and have a support team. And when you say sleep, do you recommend a certain amount of sleep or just personalized to you? Personalized to you, but make sure you prioritize it. And for sleep, you could read rest. You could you could read taking a break. Um, you mentioned elite athletes earlier, Fernanda. Elite athletes work as hard on their rest as they do on their work. And so I know how that sounds and I know what it's like when there's just another thing to do and another handle to turn and another button to button to press and all of that because you know as an entrepreneur every hour you work is potentially an, an hour that you're earning money whereas when you're a salaried employee every hour you work is diminishing returns right because you get a salary mm -hmm. or you work the less you paid an hour so i know that i know the seduction of that and you've got to put your own oxygen mask on before you help others put theirs on hundred percent. Let's talk about where people can reach you and specifically if they're interested in your book, which it sounds like it would be a great book for a founder to read yes. and also for anyone in management at a company to read, yeah. where would they go to purchase the book? And again, remind everyone of the title as well. Yeah. So you can find it on Amazon and the title is you can be yourself here your pocket guide to creating inclusive workplaces using the psychology of belonging. 
DDS Dobson Smith is the author and it's available in all Amazon stores. And in fact, this week it's available at the moment on e-reader and hard copy. And in a couple of weeks time, it's going to be available audible as well. Oh, fantastic. Wonderful. And if anyone would like to contact you and learn more about you and your practice and the work that you do. You can email me at dds at soultrain.com uh, and you can also find, you can get me, get in contact with me via the website, which is www.soultrain.com. And that's S-O-U-L-T-R-A-I-N, correct? S-O-U-L-T-R-A-I-N-E-D, Soul Train. Okay. All right. That's why I wanted to make sure if it was E-D or not. Okay, perfect. DDS, it was amazing to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom. I'm so grateful that you've got this second book out. I think there's going to be incredible benefit to so many people by reading it and really putting it into use. So thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you. Well, thank you again and tune in next week for more Startup Hacks. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that will save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Fernanda Kirapina, and we will see you next week.